Hello everyone, I am Juba. I'm a DJ, podcast host and radio host and I'm here today. I have the pleasure of interviewing a really, really special, very interesting guest for today's Resident Advisor Exchange. So today I'm joined by Antal, a DJ, an entrepreneur, a curator, a football trainer and co-founder of Rush Hour Records in Amsterdam, which is why we're here today. So Antal has been around and passionate about music for decades, but retains a humility and intrigue, which is genuinely inspiring. And you know, someone is humble and passionate when they spend up to six hours preparing for sets, despite having been in the game for decades. So he's impossible to pin down musically, with a record collection that spans genres from Chicago and Detroit influenced house to rare Afro-funk, Surinese disco and boogie gems. He's played all over the world from Oslo to Singapore, Tokyo to San Francisco, whilst also being very prominent in his own city of Amsterdam. And since 1997, he has been the co-founder of Rush Hour Records, the famous store that started with humble beginnings in the basement of Housewives on Fire, a hairdresser in Amsterdam, and has now become somewhat of an institution of a legendary status in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, Europe, and worldwide. It's a labyrinth that is full of vinyls brought during ongoing crate digging trips. And of course, Rush Hour also functions as a label, which releases house and techno records. It's also a major distributor, of course, and also reissues long forgotten classics that serve to educate whole new generations about what has gone before. So hello, Antol. <laughs> hello. Hey, hey. Um, hey, hey. <laughs> how's life? How are you? I'm pretty good. Everything yeah. is relaxed. Yeah. And you? I'm good. I'm, you know, technical issues aside, as is always, yeah. I'm, I'm in a good place. Massive congratulations on 25 years of Rush Hour Records. Thank you very much. Yeah. Time's running fast. I believe you celebrated it on the 16th of October. Is that correct? Like the actual date? Do you remember the date? Yeah, that's the actual date. Yeah, 16th of October, 97. That's when we opened the doors from the store. But um, we were already active like one year before. Amazing. But, uh, the actual Rush Hour store opened on 16th uh, October 97, yes. Um, and just like now, right now, you're in the process of putting together the Floating Bastard and a Rush Hour Club Nights and Post Exhibition, I, I believe. It's it's an exhibition, yes, because we have a new store and in the store there's a basement and we use that basement for all the cultural stuff around uh, the music, actually. Mm. So this this time it hosts uh, an exhibition from Floating Bastard. I love the idea. I saw it and I love the idea of like an exhibition around club nights and posters. I feel like mm. posters are like, they don't get enough credit for like how amazing posters can be. Like they're genuine art. And um, like so many of my favorite pieces of artwork actually are just like club night posters. <laughs> so Yeah, 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 it's true. Yeah, it's yeah. Where, it was where a lot of things begin as well you know a lot of guys begin with with and girls begin with doing posters and then and then they evolve from there you know definitely so I love the fact that it's sort of like posters are getting their dues um I want to go on from the concept of like you know when you started um consciously engaging in records and music and and like a sound that captivated you from like a, a proactive perspective um I want to go to like maybe let's say 1995 so a few years before uh you founded Rush Hour Records with Christian McDonald's um, what was Antal doing at that time and what were the key steps that led to the foundation of this now legendary record store in 1997? So basically a few things. I was just in school and I was playing a lot of football. I was training like almost every day. Um, then next to that, my brother was working in the clubs, as I mentioned before, and he was playing that music. And at some point, my brother moved because he went to university and I had to help him move. And um, 
when we're in a student flat, like 200 kilometers further with his friends and we moved all his stuff, they had a party, like a housewarming party and they were playing like the music there, right? Like it was a lot of house music. It was also the first time we drink a little beer and everything. And then that's when I really started hearing the music and then uh, I started looking for the music. Um, so I started building a, a little bit of a collection but I didn't even think about it. You know, I just bought a record here and there. Um, and then at some point, uh, there was a school trip to London. And I was actually supposed to go to Paris with the school trip. You, you're like in the fifth grade or something, you do a school trip. I was supposed to go to Paris, but there were only girls going to Paris. So uh, the school said like, yeah, you're not going to Paris because uh, they didn't want to have me there. They said, yeah, you go to London. And I was like, uh, well all right but at that time you just accept right so I go to London and there I see all the import shops like uh, Fat Cat Records and uh, whatnot uh, Reckless and all these shops and then I saw all this music and I saw all this like older titles because in Amsterdam I was only aware of the new titles you could find like the latest things but in London I saw all this older stuff I saw all this Detroit stuff and whatnot and then I thought like, oh, wow, but I had to leave, you know, after a few days you had to leave and I wanted to go back. I was like, I want to, wanna, you know, the curiosity, I want to dig into that. So I started thinking about how can I go to London? And obviously you have no money. So I found at some point I found like a bus trip. It was really inexpensive bus trip. And you could go in the morning, then arrive in the morning in London. So basically you go at night, you drive nine hours or seven hours, you arrive in the morning in London, you spend the whole day in London and then in the evening take the bus back. This is what I could do. So this way I could go to London, but then still it didn't have a lot of money to buy records, but you know, this was the way to, uh, you, you save some money, you go there and I could find some records there. And then I started bringing back some more stuff for other people. So I started going more often to London on these one-day trips. And yeah, um, I, I, I started, you know, buying a bit more and started trading with people. And uh, this is how I met Christian because um, I was doing this from my student flat at some point and Christian uh, came. Well, he brought a whole bag of records himself and um, we started trading and then we started traveling together basically and we started thinking about okay where, where can we find records that we can buy for cheap and then maybe resell them so we started hustling a little bit with records and the only reason why we did it was because we had a huge hunger to discover this music and to find more of it but at that age you know I was like I don't know I was 18 or 19 you didn't have so much budget right so you had to hustle a little bit. And um, yeah, this is this is kind of how it grew. And then from that point, it, it went really fast. So um, yeah, the story continues, but um, this is a little bit the beginning. And I guess that for the good of people listening, it's really, really exciting. Or I guess interesting to hear that story of you going to London on the buses and sort of like spending a day looking around. I think there's a certain level of like physical immersion that... Um, sort of seems to characterize that beginning story which I guess differs in a way to maybe how we consume and like explore music now a lot of it is online digitalized which we'll come into in a yeah, second yeah. 
But um, I think that like you had to actively leave the country, go through customs or whatever, <laughs> and you know, spend yeah. the day there. Um, and yeah, I I definitely also the whole idea of like going somewhere overnight and you know saving some accommodation money on the bus. I've been there, done that. It's it's smart. It's very smart. I did that when I traveled to Latin America quite a bit. Um, and it's definitely a little way of like saving some money. Um, do you ever miss those days in the early days when people? weren't as big and successful, didn't travel as much and like were, I guess, more like grounded in the store. It's interesting that you created this kind of informal network, like like by accident in a way, um, which mm. created this family feel. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I miss it per se. Of course, it were beautiful times, but everything has its uh, has its meaning and everything is beautiful in that sense. Uh, the, the naive, naivety, or how do you say that, you know, when you're kind of naive and you go into it, that's also a beautiful thing, you know, when you discovering. But in that moment, there's also a certain insecurity because you already know, like, you want to you wanna be somewhere else. And then when you are... In, the, in that other period, then, yeah, then it sometimes feels like work or something, you know what I mean? It's like, there's always pros and cons and everything. Mm. And I, I just take it as it is, you know, and I, I feel quite fortunate, like how things went and I'm happy in the place that I am now. And, um, you know, because back in the day, it was also like DJing was very, very difficult as well, you know, because often you would DJ for empty rooms right? It's like, there's two people there, nobody's interested in what you're doing. So I can't necessarily say that I'm missing that, you know, because mm. I'm not. If I go to a club now, and it's full of people who want to hear the music, then I'm like, yeah, this is nice. You know, so it's like, there's many different uh, things to that. Yeah, there's like a, a sense of the pros and cons. And also sitting in the moment, acknowledging it for what it is, and being aware that things will change, but change isn't always bad. It just is part of life. And you kind of yeah. run with that. Yeah, exactly. And I also think it, it belongs to a certain uh, moment or period in your life. Mm. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, it's like nostalgia, but also you can't stay in the same place, even though there were some beautiful things in that. I'm sure we all yeah. have moments in our lives that we really enjoyed, but also, you know, we're here now. Um, yeah, and also times exactly. we didn't enjoy and we're, we're glad that we're not there um <laughs> so but I really for, sure. uh, for me I think the idea of like creating communities and like bonds around certain like ideas concepts is so beautiful um and so it's just really nice to hear this idea of like you know you had this store and people came together through it and now there's just all these different networks around the world I want to look into just also like I guess changes kind of going on what we're yeah. saying I love how this yeah. is uh, naturally progressing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess changes in the industry in the world that you've been part of I guess um obviously around uh you know the, in the 2000s 2015 16 there was that or 2005 around that period there was mm -hmm. all the movement around digitalization, around, you yeah. know, the dun dun dun, you know, DSPs and everything went to USB sticks and stuff. But um, I guess not so much looking at to how, you know, how did you feel about that? Because I guess you've spoken about that so many times, but um looking into those conversations around digitalization and what happened like two decades ago or so, how do you feel looking back in hindsight? I guess having almost survived and thrived in a world that felt very uncertain how has that like impacted your outlook around say music records um the world that you've sort of created within the store as well no it also gave us a direction i would say um you always have to adapt i think if you are running a company you also have to adapt but it went again 
it went very organically. We never really made a, a business plan or anything. It just, we just go with the flow in that sense. Also because of uh, the age we had, you know, it started quite young. Like we opened, we opened the shop at 20 or something. So we didn't, we were not in a rush. That was a good thing about it. But, you know, uh, when in, in around 2005, and that period when um, Napster and these download portals uh, started to come up, and but also the option of playing them with uh, pioneer CDJs that started to evolve, uh, made people less dependent depending on on vinyl, and and so there was the question like, uh, what is the future? And you know the first thing that happened was that a lot of people thought like. Oh, I don't need vinyl anymore. I can play it all digital. It's fine. And uh, those people started playing MP3s. You know, I, I think people even ripped like files from YouTube and started playing that in clubs. But I think I had knowledge already there that the quality would be slightly inferior, you know. So I always put like the bar high for myself quality-wise. I, I never really play MP3s, you know. I always play like the highest uh, quality file I can I can find because quality is something that is uh, important, right? I mean, it's you, you have to have to play like the full file, like how it was intended, and not like a downgraded uh, version of it. That's the first thing. But a lot of people started playing like MP3s, and so they start stop caring about their records and. So they started selling their records. So that was like a welcome thing to us because like, okay, now we have access to collections from people, you know, because there's all this deep stuff in there that wasn't available digital anywhere. So that was that was a nice thing for us as a, as a record shop that these collections were now all of a sudden available. But at the same time, uh, there were people not buying the records anymore. But the same thing happened that we were not only selling in Amsterdam anymore, you know, we could now sell via the internet and via website. So we picked up on the website quite quick and started selling abroad. I still, I still know that um, there were shops in Amsterdam that were doing like, a, what do you call that? An enquete? What do you call it in English? Uh, like a survey or something to the customers, like a, they, they, they printed like a four paper and it said like, hey, do you want to uh, buy digital, buy via website from us or do you prefer like buying from the store? I was always a bit like, mm, that's a bit like uh, <laughs> not how it's going to work. I think I, I, I thought like, hey, if we can have a website, it means like the whole world has access to our our. Uh, our shop so I don't have to ask the people in Amsterdam what they think about it I should just make sure we reach out to all those people outside so that's when we started doing the website and also musically you had more options to discover more music so it was more like okay if we now have uh, this tool called the internet that we can that can that we can use to digest music quicker it also means that you can find better and more crazy stuff, you know, on the other side of the world. Why not use it in this way, you know, instead of thinking like, oh, vinyl is not convenient. It's more convenient to carry a USB stick. So therefore, I'm not going to carry vinyl anymore. That's not how I see it because it's not supposed to be easy, you know. Um, it's supposed to be like a craft to to 
to create a nice selection of music and play that for people and, and make it inspiring. You know, I've seen people unloading their gear for half an hour, like with the controllers and whatnot. And I'm looking at it because they're playing after me and I'm like, okay, now the spaceship is gonna lift off. You know, I'm gonna see something happening now. And then they turn on the music and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's just shitty music as well. Why? why don't you just you know bring a record then or something you know you don't need all that stuff for that so i just think like um you know i just have a special love for for vinyl as a format but i believe in music you know and um if i can buy it somewhere in digital and it's not available on vinyl then i'll i'll do that you know if but i use the 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 tools and the um, and the equipment to 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 become better in what you're doing and not necessarily to make it more easy you know i don't necessarily think that is you know and that is sometimes uh, i think the problem with um with options but i'm not sure if i'm drifting away now because you see do you think the dust has settled? So like around this moment of flux, do you think like there was so much movement and uncertainty and now do you think we're like in that post uncertainty moment and we know what the industry is look, going to look like with, you know, the world of vinyls and physical interactive moves digital? Yeah, I think it's more, it's, I think it, it a little bit, it's settled a little bit, but I still think a lot of things are going to, to change and going to happen. But you know, in terms of what we are doing, I think at the end of the day, it's about music. If you just keep your eye on music and you understand the processes around it, then, you know, a good tune is a good tune, right? And I have a special love for people digesting, uh, digesting the world of vinyl and then playing it in a club. But I see it as a technique as well, because I also know there's a lot of music available only digitally, for instance, you know, and um, if somebody uh, does something great with that, then then I'm probably also going to enjoy that. Um, it's, it's more about like, what do my ears hear? And, um, and also about like uh, the creator's integrity um, it's important to me because that's the most honest what you're going to see or hear them but um, yeah I think the dust settled but I still still think things are going to change mm. I think also what's interesting is the idea that like once upon a time vinyls were almost the only option or the physical is the only option and now you also have the digital so it's like yeah, kind of. If you engage in vinyls and digi and uh, the physical, it's actually also a, more of a choice now as opposed to like a compulsion. So I guess it gives more freedom, but it doesn't make either obsolete. I also think, as you say, like in the world of music that we're in now, there are some like I play a lot of you know Afro beats and I'm a piano and com, which is like South African kind of like deep techno, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. um, you can't really get many of those songs on vinyl or play the sort of a uh, the use the sort of techniques on a vinyl it's more digital so it's interesting yeah. how like different that in some ways the digital has opened up the world as you said to so many different forms of music that don't exist on vinyl anymore but then also that just because things are digital doesn't mean it's just it has to be a cheat code like there's still ways of engaging that stuff in like a stylized or like a sort of um say a high level but like a an advanced way yeah um yeah i agree yeah I agree. I just, I just think with, with digital, what it can do is give people a shortcut 
And I don't think you can take a shortcut on 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 culture in that sense. You know, that's just like uh, that's not how I how I how I would use it. So, you know, it always gives me a better feeling if I put in the work and I discover something by putting in the work and then play it than just listening to somebody else and copying songs and start playing that. You know, that's not you know, but that's possible more nowadays. Like back in the day, they would uh in, in when there was only vinyl then you you really had to go out and search for it and it could to could take you months you know before you find you find a certain record as a dj and nowadays people just shazam it and they have it and they can play it but that's what i mean i think i think that's nice maybe if you want to uh listen to the music for yourself but if that's how you operate as a dj i don't think it should work like that you know i think a dj should put in the effort and that's basically what it is you know it's like a record promoter so you should put in the effort and uh, and digest the world of music and then play those tunes in the in in, uh, in the most honest way yeah i definitely think there's so many ways to shortcut even becoming a dj these days it's like it's probably one of the easiest entry points into music but i do think yeah. um that ultimately there's like these old standing ideas and, and fables and, and morals or whatever it is that like things like integrity, dedication, passion, and the ability to actually learn and get to a certain level, I guess, skill-wise, I think they will always um, say win out or they'll always ultimately stand the test of time. I think when it comes yeah, to yeah. timelessness, there's certain things that are just non-negotiable. Yeah, and maybe that's also like what you're getting at. I believe. I just want to kind of look into some kind of special moments you had over the years. So I know you've probably spoke about this a million times. Apologies, <laughs> but obviously Sochi, Sochi Charada, um, released yeah. Kalai at um like end of last year, I believe. Yeah, kind of uh, yeah, and this is its first release of new music for 25 years, which is quite a big deal. So like I don't know, just tell us about Rush Hour's involvement in this. Why it was a special moment for you as well, besides from it being like 25, you know. Um, new music that hasn't been out for like 25 years. Um, yeah, how was it a big deal? Soichi Terada, I think, is a, is a beautiful example of uh, of um, uh, an artist where where his older music got like rediscovered, and therefore uh, he is an artist uh, got like a whole new uh, career basically because um this happened in like around 2015 at least for us because huni was living in Amsterdam at that point and he came to me and he said like hey this music from soichi terada maybe we should do something with it you know maybe we should create a reissue because he was really fond of it i wasn't even that aware of the music i i knew uh the namashimada track but uh, i didn't really knew the deepness of uh, the catalog and uh, but Huni talked about it and um, he played me some things and I was like yeah well, yeah this is nice okay let's uh, you know maybe you can do this as, as, as your project and uh, so he reached out to Soichi Terada and like within a half an hour Soichi Terada sent him like all his music already and it was up for the idea so it went really quick and then uh, yeah we put together uh, a compilation of, uh, of his old stuff and, um, and then Orfeo made the artwork from um, from Red Light Records at the time. He made the artwork, but he put like uh, the photo, his face on front of the cover. And this is like the, 
the, the, the Sounds from the Far East, this album came before Ascusa Light uh, in 2015. And he put his face on the cover and he has a very friendly, uh, charming photo. But I was like, yeah, why would we put, put that face on the cover? Um, but we went for it. And then our distributor in Japan said, like, when we were doing a rush hour party in Japan, there was a distributor in Kobe. And he said, like, let's let's bring, let's do a rush hour night here in Kobe and bring Soichi Terada live. And um, it's like, yeah, okay, why not? So then then I saw Soichi Terada live and and he was like the like how the photo is, you know, it was super, um, I can't find the words in English, but it was super um, joyous. Youthful. Yeah, joyous <laughs> and spontaneous. And uh, it was just like, wow, what this, this is so like, wow. And um, yeah, then we organized uh, uh, shows for him. So we did like uh, one show in Corsica in London, one show in uh, Panorama Bar in Berlin, one in Paris or Concrete and one in Amsterdam. And um, yeah, he played those four shows and people were just like loving it, you know, people were so into it. And from that moment on, he started like uh, playing more often and touring. And uh, he was just like, a, he was a game producer at that moment. His music was from the 90s and he was a game, pro he became a game producer for Ape, Ape, Ape Escape and uh, other games uh, in Tokyo. And um, but that was coming to an end. So he had a time for touring again. And yeah, now he's like fully uh, into his music career again and, uh, and playing places and making people happy, you know, and, and making himself happy. And uh, yeah, at, at some point he toured so much that he was like, OK, now it's time to, to stop a little bit. He started working on music again. And this is how Askusa Light happened. And that's, uh, you know, he worked on it for two years or something. And uh, we released it last year, and now he's now he's playing. Uh, now he's on the road again. Mm. But it's just a great thing, you know, when um, when there's music and um, people, current DJs are listening to this music and playing this music, and this appreciation for the artist, for the original creator, um, uh, comes up, and uh, and the artist can have a career, you know, uh, with that. And that that happened over and over again in time. But I think that's the beautiful thing of, of, of digging. And I think that's also kind of the part that when when DJing really works, right? That's what I also meant with the DJ as a as a as a record promoter, you know. Um I you know it's 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 you know, I also benefit from it, but at the same time, I sometimes think like this whole uh, God is a DJ thing and how how they are exposed now and everything. I think it it's not really correct and often i just find my i just say like just put me somewhere in a corner turn off the lights and listen to the music you know and just feel the music playing and then when when you feel the music then people start to get interested in it and then they can find out like who's the original creator and and go further from that you know it's uh that we should not forget you know mm. there definitely is that conversation i resonated with a point you made a while ago in one of your articles about like wanting to be say in the floor and not being like on the stage I think the whole like DJs on the stage it's hard to connect with the with the people and also creates that kind of like dichotomy that level of like yeah the god is a DJ I really enjoyed that story though about how you know this sort of collaboration or this moment came about so organically from you know like yeah 
Hunji, um, Huni, you know, sort of suggesting Sochi and then this coming and him coming out of this sort of like a hiatus in the mu- new music production sense. Just to go back to the idea of like, it's just really fun to hear about these connections and how things just happen sort of serendipitously as well. Right now, interestingly, where would you say, where would you place Rush Hour in Amsterdam, in Amsterdam's sort of like musical community and world? Hmm. Where would you would I place it? I don't know necessarily where I would place it in Amsterdam because you know trends change, and uh, as we have all obviously noticed that uh, some some sounds in the clubs become way more, let's put it mildly faster or uh, different than that where where our interest goes. But I always see rush hour and not necessarily only in Amsterdam. I, I just see this uh, worldwide. We, 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 we listen to music uh, how, how we like to listen to music. And I think um, we are building from there. And uh, this is also how the connections happen. And, um, you know, if that, that's not a trend, right? It's just like what we are doing. So if we listen to rare grooves two years ago, then we probably still think these rare grooves are relevant today. You know, maybe you don't listen to it that often because you listen to new music also, but it's just like everything is connected. And it's not like all of a sudden, like, oh, the trend is going to harder and faster music. Now we are also listening to harder and faster music or something, you know, that's not how it works. So I think I think our position in relation to a city or uh, the worldwide flavor changes all the time. But the people that we connect with, I think that that just stays, you know, if people keep their interest in it, then then it just stays. We're not gonna change in that sense. We're not per se very um, always on the new stuff or something, you know, we appreciate like all the stuff, we appreciate new stuff. We just, just, uh, yeah. So I don't know necessarily what the position is, but um, it's also not important. We just do what we do. And if uh, if everything starts uh, sounding the same, then we look somewhere else. And if nobody's doing anything anymore, we start organizing events again. You know, this is actually how it always goes in Amsterdam for 25 years. If nothing happens, then we feel like, okay, we need to start doing some events again. But then when all the DJs we like are brought in by other organizers, then we don't have to do anything. Then we just go there as an event. See what I mean? So this yeah. is a little bit how I see the position. Because I also see that, you know, there's a lot of um, interactions between Rush Hour Records and like Deckmantle, ADE, The Shula, Rainbow Disco Club. Um, there's a Docker space that Masalo like uh, sort of started up as well. Yeah, so it seems yeah. like there's like a mix. You, you really do interconnect with what's going on in your city. Yeah, we do interconnect what's going on with our city. But if uh, the Degmonto program uh, becomes more techno and uninteresting for us, for instance, then then we probably won't connect. You know what I mean? It's just uh, it's not a statement, by the way, but it's just like how these things go. If 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 a festival is is more trendy at some point, then 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 yeah. For us, it's not about a trend, you know, for us, it's just about the music that we like. And it's also not about being old fashioned or old school or whatever. It's just about knowing when when it's time to change or not, you know. And for us, it's not time to change because, again, we have to sell 10,000 tickets. But for us, it's uh, time to change when 
when we hear something doing some 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 artists doing something really great then we bring it in if we're not feeling it then we don't do it but you will not see me jumping behind a dj booth with uh, my hands in the air playing uh, the wrong music you know so and that is a statement <laughs> and also decmantle you heard it here first okay watch out what you start programming um but also <laughs> um look at i noticed as well that you you know you, you're obviously based in amsterdam amsterdam is a core part of i guess rush hours like identity location wise as well but you also like are interested in cities like tokyo i notice a lot of interactions with like japanese music and yeah i'm just interested in like um rush hour branching out and connecting across different cities yeah uh, our connection with japan started uh, very early i think somewhere in 2000 2001 but it mainly became it it, it, it happened because there it was very far away like exotic in that sense you know and but i i personally really liked some some japanese movies and and things and then so when we traveled there for the first time it was was very exciting, but um, um, but later on, uh, we we also got some nice friends there, uh, especially people from the from the Rainbow Disco Festival, and uh, you know we just have a good feeling together and a, and a mutual understanding of how we like to listen to music, and therefore we 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 do things together. And and uh, yeah, that 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 just grows. You know, it's it's an or, again, it's an organic thing that 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 grows because uh, you have a good feeling together and a musical, uh, the same kind of uh, vibe, mm. and um, that's why we do things together, basically. Yeah, so it's not like okay, I want to go and check out what's going on in Sao Paulo right now because I want to build a Sao Paulo leg. It's just like this organic exactly again again yeah and there is definitely a love for japanese culture as there is a, a love for uh, for 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 what's going on in brazil and with brazilian music you know i definitely have a personally i definitely have a special love for it also for japanese music or music that's been created in japan you know because i feel the japanese have a, a very fine ear and also a fine um how can i say mentality of of improving the sound and improving improving things in general you know so i think quality wise it's always high standard there also when you play in the clubs you know like uh, and they are they obviously studied like new york uh, house music culture for instance but not only new york also in jazz music and and a lot of things so you know playing like for instance a venue like uh, contact or something in uh, in tokyo um, um yeah I, I that's just like the sound is so so great you know and the setup is so great that it's just um it's just lovely to play in venues like that and therefore i have a, have a love for it mm. I can't say I know much about Japanese music, but once again, as I say, through looking into Rush Hour, I'm definitely intrigued to see what's going on in cities like Tokyo and how they also have like been influenced. Like the scenes that you're you've been around in Tokyo had been influenced by things like New York House and you know Detroit uh, techno. It's very interesting. Um, I want to, I guess, I guess we're going to come towards the end now of this really interesting conversation that has spanned decades and continents. Um, 
Why do you think Rush Hour has resonated so much? I'm going to leave it there. You can interpret that as you want. I think I think uh, there is always a small minority that 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 that, that listens to 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 music, you know. And um, I think if if I think that generally resonates over periods of time, where because still I'm in contact with a lot of people that I know from the early days, and I think that all that that goes for the whole company. It's a lot of uh, contacts and relationships that that cross like you know, years or decades of time. And it's because you all work with the same sort of mentality. You know, it's not a trend. It's, um, it's you, you like what somebody's doing and you follow that artist. And I, I guess it's, it's, I think a lot of people work like that. And that, that crosses time, basically. Um, if you're following trends, or pretty faces or whatever those things you know evolve over time they they, they 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 change and then you have to do something again else again but that's not how we how we how i think we operate so i think uh, and i think a lot of people don't operate like that so they just look at the quality of things and um yeah obviously along the way you you fine-tune what you are doing and um Maybe you lose interest here and there, but at the same time, I think there's a there's a there is a, some sort of um, yeah, what's the word? There's some sort of uh, mutual understanding of of how how things should be, mm. you know, and um, yeah. And you believe that there is a way that things should be. No, I don't. I. No, well, that would be a bit too uh, upfront. Let's put it like that. I don't believe there is a way how things should be per se, but I do believe that if if I hear something that I'm really into, if I hear something that is really great, or if I see something that is really great, then I do know that if I show this to the programmer of a venue or I play this to a DJ friend or I play this to Huni or something that they would have the same feeling about it, you know. Obviously, there could be differences, but I think the beauty in things often, you know, we, 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 we have that same sort of feeling around it. So it's not per se how things should be, but it's more about, about the beauty of things. And it could be in, in all forms of art. That could be in sports. It could be in music. It could be in art. It could be in food, uh, whatever, you know. No, I was going to say, I think um, subjectivity is something that overrides. But at the same time, as you say, sometimes it's intuitive. You can't put your finger on it. But you know when you, like, taste good food. You know when you hear good music. You know when you see good art, even if it's not to your taste you know that like there's a certain level of quality in this that not can't necessarily be like quantified but it's there yeah you know? it's yeah there. and it's not it's not the same for everybody of course not but i think in general that's how you how you how you follow things yeah yeah no i, I agree. would say i agree I, I i get what you're saying and from yeah. a personal perspective um when you think back on 25 years of rush hour and you know many more years to come what emotions do you feel <laughs> the, 
like uh, like you already touched that subject i really always have to think often about once in a lifetime from the talking heads you know <laughs> no 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 it's more like wow what what <laughs> wow this is just like went so fast but what it does to me is like uh, try to 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 um to live in the moment and and be appreciative to be honest which is not which i'm not always um, I can also be honest about that, so I have to I have to learn that more, you know. To just uh, it's like I said. Now we're here. I'm uh, I'm I'm very proud of what we've done, you know, after 25 years, and I uh, I think we're just gonna continue in our own pace, and that's just it. Have you had a moment when you've looked around and, as you say, like you haven't always appreciated appreciated it, but you've had a moment when you looked around and thought, nah, you know what? Like, well done to us, because. We done well. We did good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like on little moments, what I mentioned, you know, when Carlos Nina was playing live in the store, and I was like, I was just like, wow, this is just happening in the middle of the city where, while everything becomes so commercial, everything, and you know, and then I'm just these are these moments, or uh, you know, when somebody comes in working with us, and after seven years, the person leaves, but has like, a, you know, has learned and has a has a career in music and everything. Then I think like, yeah, that's how it should be. So, yeah, and I guess like I don't know, like a reflection on twenty five years uh, of rush hour and like more years of being in music. Like I don't know, what are your I guess closing thoughts? What are your thoughts right now? Maybe in the past, the present, the future? What you want to see? what you want to see change or develop. I'm just intrigued to what your experiences like brought to your mind. Hmm. I'm not sure if I can give a very satisfying answer to that right now, because it's, it's also something I'm thinking about, honestly. You know, I'm still a bit overwhelmed by the fact that it is 25 years and that it is something that you can celebrate. But it's not that I uh, think, and I don't think anybody within us thinks that same way. It's like, oh, we have this now. This needs to happen in the next 10 years. That, that, that is just not, it's just, um, I definitely stopped doing certain things. And we definitely stopped doing certain things, you know, like in terms of relationships and everything, you know, if it, uh, we, we just, we want it to be nice, right? We just want it to be like, it should not be any headaches anymore at, the, at this point. But at the same time, um, there's not very a clear plan of like what it's going to be in the next 10 years, I have to be honest. Maybe we come up with that. Were there any like clear learning moments or turning points when like, you know, you, which changed your approach? Well, not even change your approach, just any key, any key learning moments in the process? Yeah, definitely. It is definitely what I definitely learned and what I definitely say to my, to my kids as well is like, um, you know, it's not one straight line up or anything. So what I also mentioned before, sometimes it's, it's easy to just stop doing things because there is a, a situation that you dislike or it becomes difficult or it becomes exhausting or whatever. But I've always learned that when we kept on that afterwards the reward came you know and it became like a better situation so it's 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 i think a lot with a lot of things you know it's sometimes easy to just stop and do something else but i've learned in the in this situation that it's it's, it's a great thing if you don't stop because it's 
it actually does make you makes you stronger in what you're doing and um yeah that i think that's definitely a thing but it's not for me to learn anymore because now i've experienced it but it's something i do can give to um to other people which i also do also for instance in the football coaching you know when with the young kids when they sometimes don't feel like you also have to understand that you sometimes have to do something for it so mm. i think um it's almost frustrating how the cliches in life are very true <laughs> like all the yeah, cliches yeah, yeah. that our parents told us and I find myself saying things I'm like my gosh like am I really becoming a cliche but it's because I guess there are some of these like just overriding universal truths like you know you don't, if you don't give up often what comes afterwards is better than what you imagined before um you know like yeah. how you treat people and how that resonates and how that reflects upon like what you get in from the universe like there's a reason they're cliches right <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the maybe the answer is not that satisfying, but uh, yeah, that's just what it is. Yeah, because mate, we've been on this earth for how many years? So all the answers have been given. <laughs> anyway, it's probably um, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a day here. I don't know if you yeah. want to give any more messages, give any shout outs or anything to the world. Yeah, shout outs to everybody that ever set a foot in our store and ever, you know, we, we encountered and uh, uh, just thank you all. And for all the people to come. Thank you so yeah. much, Antal. Um, it's been such an interesting conversation. Definitely some learning points um, in this whole process of like looking into rush hour more i definitely am keen to if i'm ever in amsterdam which i'm sure i will be i'm 100 yeah drop by 100 definitely <laughs> let, let me know i will i will thank you so much thank and you too thank yeah, you for the nice time and congratulations well. i'm gonna clap 25 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Woo, happy birthday okay thanks great. a lot